Good deal. Hey, if you've got a Bible, take a look at Luke chapter 4. All right, Luke chapter 4 is where we're going to, uh, where we're going to be today. Hey, you know, we, we're, going to start this, uh, we're going to start this series, this new series today, and it's just a Christmas series. It's a unique year uh, because we really only have three weeks. Um, you, have, you have today and you have uh, next week, which is the, the ninth, and you have the six, uh, no, next week is the 10th, today's the third, 10th, 17th, and then 24th, obviously we'll have our Christmas Eve services in here pretty much all day long, but separated, you know, pretty good. I think we're having 10, uh, 1045, so we'll have a morning one in here for a Christmas Eve service, and you know, it's only three weeks, that's crazy. And so, uh, and then we'll have a five o'clock and then 11 o'clock. But so I wanted just to give you, I always want to talk about, whenever we have a Christmas time, um, we, I always just want to share with you, what is it? And why is it we celebrate it? Because so many times, as I share every year, so many times celebrations take over uh, and we forget what we're celebrating, which makes sense, especially people are just hungry to be able to celebrate something or to be able to, to, to be happy or have enjoy themselves or whatever. And a lot of times people look at Christmas as that time. But Why? You know, why? That becomes the thought. So, so I want to talk to you about it. And it's an interesting thing when you take a look at, um, at so much of the scriptures, what it talks about, God's message to us. Um, even, even, uh, even writers who've written on the subject for centuries have picked up on what I want to talk to you about. I want to talk to you about the three things um, that, 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 that obviously come across pretty you know, pretty easy. Number one is that we're going, today we're going to take a look at the past, right? A look at the past, and then a look at the present, and then a look at the future. And so when you think about it too, that's, that's what you need to know about the Christmas story, about the time, this time of the year. You know, and the, what I call, what I like to call the Christian experience. You know, whenever somebody, if you're not familiar with church, maybe it's your first time, um, when somebody shares a testimony, that is, they, they give testimony to what's happened in their life. That is, I am a testimony. That is, it's like standing up in a courtroom and sharing what you've seen, okay, what you know. And so the, the, always the thought is this. There's, there's who I was before I came to know him. That's the past. And then you come to the present, which is what were the circumstances surrounding me coming to know him? And then the third is the future, how my life has changed since I have. It's the same concept when you take a look at the Christmas story. That is the prophecies, that is all the things in the past that, that were pointing towards Jesus coming. There's the present tense, obviously, when he came, and the difference that he has made and will make, continue to make in the future. So you have this, you have then this picture, Right? And, and I want you to see it because we're going to kind of follow along with that because other writers and movie makers and other people who, a lot of times you don't pick up on it, kind of they're, they're using that same analogy in so many different things. We'll talk about it uh, a little bit. Uh, we'll talk about it a little bit in a minute. But it's that experience that is, to me, the most amazing uh, because I've seen that, and to me, that becomes, that becomes the evidence of who we are and the experience uh, that has been written about for centuries. And so what I want to look about today about is, is, first of all, is a look at the past. A look at you and I, right? And, and also a look at 
obviously this picture of who Christ is and who he was said he was going to be. But you know, this past series we just finished, The Strength to Overcome, I don't know that there's been a series that I have shared with you that has meant more to me personally. I try to share with you things that I think that would, from the scriptures, that perhaps you didn't know, or perhaps you could, you could come to know, but also that would, that would have impact in your life. And if you're a believer, the power for us to be who he's called us to be comes from him. And you have to learn to trust him, not just for salvation, but also to live the way he's called you to live. That's why I guess in doing everything that I do, it just reminded me again of that it's all about who he is, right? And it's all about learning to trust him for the strength to do what he's called you to do. So it was just an amazing time. Well, today is going to pick up on that just a little bit, especially when we talk about the past. And when you look at those things, Jesus, Jesus, it'd been told a long time. I'm not going to go into all of those things. That's why I had you turn to Luke chapter 4. Jesus came into the world, and I want you to understand that in Jesus' life, I want you to know that in 30 years of his life, he lived in obscurity, basically. Other than his birth, which we'll talk a little bit more about next week, right? Other than his birth, and then a little bit of a snapshot when he was 12 or so. But other than that, the first 30 years of his life were obscure. Most people don't realize that. And that all of what Jesus did, he did in three years. Every bit of it. And, and when you think about in those three years... That 2,000 years later, we're still talking about it. It is a remarkable thing to think about. But I want you to see the thought about in, in the past of, and then you'll see present and the future, but, but the past, I want you for, first of all, I want you to see our problem. And this will chart very easy. It won't take us this long today either. But there's, a, there's the problem we have. Uh, there's the need that comes from that problem, and then there's the solution. Those will be the three things we're going to talk about. Very simple, very straightforward, but, but I'm going to illustrate it a lot, and you're going to see a couple of things. But in chapter, Luke chapter 4, Jesus' first day, okay, his first day beginning to do what God had called him to do is recorded in Luke chapter 4. He'd been in, he'd been in almost total obscurity up to this point. And he's going to kick this off, and uh, he's going to kick it off in his hometown of Nazareth. And I want, to, I want to read it to you. Take a look in Luke chapter 4 and verse 14. It says that Jesus returned, so he'd been other places, he returned back home, Nazareth, in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went throughout all the surrounding country. And he taught in their synagogues. Now, what's a synagogue? Synagogue is like a place of worship, much like this one, not near this big, but they were usually smaller places that, that would seat anywhere from 50 to 250. And, um, and they were scattered, they're scattered all over the world. They were just places of worship for people who were Jewish. And, uh, and, and it was Saturday, the Sabbath. And so he went around just teaching in synagogues and he came to Nazareth, okay, which had been brought up, which is his hometown. And as was his custom, so Jesus made it a custom of being in worship at this time. And, uh, and, and as his custom, he went to synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. You have to remember, the order of worship among Jewish synagogues is similar to what we do. 
They have times of reading the different, sometimes, a lot of times they would read from different sections from the law, okay? That is the first five books. They'd read from the prophets, which is what Jesus is going to read, or they'd read a song or a psalm, right? And so they would have several readings. They would have singing. Somebody would share about the message, just like, I'm only, you know, it's a little bit different, but just like we do in here today. And so Jesus came in and they asked Jesus to, to do the reading part. And so they handed him this scroll from the book of Isaiah. Now, Isaiah is an amazing book. I don't know if you've read the Isaiah. It can be a little complicated, but Isaiah, God gave Isaiah a foresight that was remarkable. You have to remember that Isaiah wrote at least 700 years before Jesus was ever born. Most believe 720 to 750 years before Jesus was ever born, and yet God told him, obviously, in, in, a, in the past of who this, this one who was coming, who was going to do what, what God had said he was going to do. And that is what is said. So Jesus turns to Isaiah 61, okay? And so Jesus just begins to read from this old book, one of the prophets. And this is what, is, this is what it said. It says, the Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me, has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, right? And he has sent me to proclaim liberty, okay, to the captives, recover of sight to the blind, and it set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Just so you see it, take a look at Isaiah 61. You'll see it's basically the same thing, but Jesus was translating, obviously, okay? But in Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 61, can you put that one up there? In Isaiah chapter 61, it basically says the same thing. It says, the spirit of the Lord is on me, and uh, he has uh, anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, which was translated a little bit different when Jesus translated into Hebrew. You have to remember that the Old Testament is, is Hebrew. New Testament is Greek. So Jesus is reading. We don't know if he's reading in Hebrew, but we do know that it's being translated by Luke here, right, into Greek. All right, continue. Uh, bind up brokenhearted, proclaim liberty to the captives, opening of prison those who are bound, and proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Okay, go back to the, go back to the Luke passage. Let's walk through this. Because what this does is it gives us the purpose for why Jesus had come. Because if you take a look at the rest of the book of, of, of that passage of Luke, take a look at it, All right? Can you put it back up there, Luke? Can you go back? All right. And um, good news to the poor. Can you go on down? And I want you to see what Jesus said. Uh, going down to the very end where it said that he set, he set the scroll back down, right? All right, verse 20. He set the scroll back down. He rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down. And it says, and the eyes of all the synagogue were on him. And he began by saying, it says, today, this scripture is being fulfilled in your hearing. Day one. It begins today. Right? So what begins today? In the present. But it was shared in the past. Because you and I have a great struggle, and it's mentioned here. Okay, go back up to the first part of Luke chapter 4. And he basically says this, and I, want to, I just want to walk through what does it mean, because I think it'll have impact on you, all right? Now, can you go back up? 
Luke chapter 4, at the very beginning. It says, Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. And it goes on to say, and a report went throughout all of the surrounding country. And he taught in their synagogues, and he glorified by all. And here's what it says. And he came to Nazareth, and when he had unrolled the synagogue, uh, excuse me, unrolled the, unrolled the scroll in the synagogue on the Sabbath day, he stood up to read. And he found the place, Isaiah 61, that says that the Spirit of the Lord is on me, okay, because he's anointed me. The word anointed means Messiah, right? To proclaim, here we go, good news to the poor. Now, the word good news means gospel. People talk about the gospel of Jesus Christ. All it means, people make a big more big deal than it really is. It just means good news. It, it, that's what it is. It's good news. Now, so part of what Jesus had come to do, he'd come to bring good news to those who are poor. Now, the poor, poor here is like what we talked about in the last series, strength to overcome. Those who are, Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Now, what does that mean? That means that those who are bankrupt in and of themselves. We're not talking about finances here. It's a, it's a, it's a symbolism. Uh, how do you know? Well, Jesus didn't come to give, you know, that was not his purpose for coming, was just to hand a lot of money out. It was never his purpose. So the symbolism, what it means is like the blessed are the poor in spirit. Same concept here. But he has come to bring good news to the poor. That is good news to the bankrupt. Now, here's a question for you. All right, think about this. All right. What would be considered good news to those who are bankrupt? All right, this is crowd participation time. <laughs> right? What would be good news to someone who is bankrupt? Somebody's going to pay your debts, right? I mean, what other good news would there be? Hey, I hope you have a great day. That's not good news, right? Good news is, is that Uncle Otto passed away and he left in his will that he was going to pay all your debts off. Okay, now we're talking good news, right? Does that make sense? So that is what this is talking about, is that Jesus said, I have come to pay the debt that you had no ability to pay yourself. And it's starting today. That makes sense, okay? And this really helps when you begin to look because what this means is that you and I are bankrupt in this area. That's why we can see our need for him if we, if we have the eyes to see and the ears to hear. Okay, so number one is he's come to bring, these are all the same, they're just explained differently, okay? Uh, the second one, he says, he has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives. Now, this is a picturesque, okay, captives, we would think those who are in prison. But in, real, in reality, the, the, the symbolism here is, is, is pretty neat. The word for captive there is like a POW, if that makes sense, a prisoner of war. So how is someone who is a prisoner of war, how is he ever going to be freed? Well, you're going to have to defeat the enemy, right? Because if you've studied anything about World War II and others, I have. One of the great joys that the soldiers, when they begin to conquer, is to liberate the POW camps, right? Wow. So you have to defeat the enemy. Interesting, all right? So then if you defeat the enemy, then obviously you'll be freed, so there's an 
there's an incredible thing about this, learning of what Christ says. He says, today, this begins. Interesting. He also says the recovery of sight to the blind. That's number three. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, this metaphor is used often as those who can't, those who can't see. Those who are in darkness don't have the ability to, to see this particular thought of what he's talking about. And this has always been, you know, people walking in darkness, you know, and seeing a great light. That is what Christmas time has, is, is traditionally has always been about. Just most people don't understand what that means. But when he's come to do something, but basically all three of these, remember, what is it saying? It's basically sharing with you is that he's come to do for you what you could never do for yourself. That is the picture of what he'd come to do. And also it says to set at liberty those who are oppressed. If you look back at the, if you look back at the same passage in, um, in Isaiah 61, it says he's come to bind up the brokenhearted. Right? Can you see it there? Bind up the brokenhearted. I think you got it up there. Yeah. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. What does the brokenhearted mean? Well, I'll look that up. It's another picturesque word. It basically means to take something like a vase or something very delicate, and to drop it, and it shatters into a thousand pieces. How do you bind that back up? Let me give you an illustration. I remembered the last valuable thing we had in our house. <laughs> you know, I've always said that you can either have nice things or you can have children, <laughs> Right? And listen, if you don't want it broken, then get it out of the house and put it somewhere where a kid can't get their mitts on it. But I remember the last valuable thing we had in our house, and it's been lots of years ago before we ever came here, and, and it was a kind of a, a, little, a little vase thing that was handmade by, by, uh, by Martha's grandmother and grandfather. It was really important. And uh, anyway, and so... One of our children, I'm not going to name which, and no, it wasn't the son, it was one of the three girls, for some reason, thought it would be fun to take the vase, and that, we had a two-story house, and to wing it over the little balcony, and, and it hit, and it shattered, and of course, Martha was, was, was real upset, and, you know, and I, like most husbands, say the wrong thing in moments like that. And what, guys, what did I say? Maybe we can glue it, right. And, and it's in a thousand pieces, and there's no way because all you'd have was glue, right, when you put all these little pieces back together. So what was, you know, basically it ended up in the trash, something that was so valuable, all of a sudden now it was trash. I find that interesting. Therefore, it's irreparable, and yet... He's come to repair that which was irreparable. I'm just wanting you to get what's being talked about here. And he says that's beginning today. Interesting. So he's come to do for you what you couldn't do yourself. So until you can see who you are, and then the, the illustrations here, you know, is that number one, poor, bankrupt. Uh, number two, captive. Right? Number three, blind. 
Okay. Number four is crushed or brokenhearted. He's come to bind that. I mean, in other words, then how does that happen? These are all things you couldn't do for yourself, but that he was going to do. And he goes on to say in the end of Luke, he says, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. The Lord's favor is just an Old Testament word for grace. So what we're talking about here is that it's not going to be something you're going to earn or deserve, but it's going to be something that he's going to do for you and it's going to be a gift that he gives to you, which is what this time of year is all about. Most people don't catch it, but it is what it's all about. It's all about gifts, right? It's all about gifts. Why? Because it's been in celebration. It's just lost its meaning. It's been in celebration of this incredible gift that God has given me that I couldn't earn or deserve, and yet that I needed desperately. So that is this great problem that all of us have. This brokenhearted, this blind, this However you want to look at it, it is, it is what it is. It's pretty amazing when you think about it. So that's our problem, number, number one. Number two is our need. Take a look at Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 2. And this is similar to number one, but there's a key distinction to it. I want you to see here, it says that the people, the people who walked, Isaiah 9, 2, the people who walked in darkness, they've seen a great light. So people walking in darkness, you know, again, this is easy stuff to think about when, when you're understanding the metaphor that's being used, is that what do people who are walking in darkness need most? They need light. Light has tremendous impact on people who are living in darkness. In fact, people who have lived in darkness all of their lives and don't know any different it's ha it has huge impact. It's kind of like something dawns on them and they're like, oh my goodness, I have never, I've never even seen this before. That's why it's such, those who have truly become believers and how God works in your life and then you're able to see for the first time, it can be eye-opening. However you want to know, it's, it's something like, wow, I'd never, I'd never really could ever see that. You know, because this is what our Christmas Eve service is about. Here, what, three weeks from right now, we'll be in this room. A lot of us, some of you will come later, but we'll be in this room. This room probably will be packed uh, most of the way. And, and I do everything on purpose. It's not just some little ritual we do that people say, well, that's cool. And it is cool. But if you get wrapped up in just, oh, that was cool, then you've missed why we're doing it. But we always start with the room that is dark. Okay. Darkness is an incredible thing. Um, there's so much unknown and fear that comes with darkness because you don't know what's there. But it's amazing how you flip the light on, everything changes. Darkness, we start in this room dark, and then I, I have one light up here, right? And then we begin to pass the room, uh, pass out in the room, and and, and light just begins to, to glow. And it's this great picture of the impact that light makes in a person's life or in people's lives, right? People walking in darkness seeing a great light. Now, let me tell you what, when it's dark in here, I could probably convince you, I could probably easily convince you that this table is not even here, right? If you can't see it, if it's dark and you can't see it, 
Then I can probably convince you that this doesn't exist. But if you turn the lights on, there's very little way that I'm going to convince you that this doesn't exist. Maybe a couple of you I could convince you. But by and large, most of you, I can't do it. Guys, I have found that people, that people who can see it for themselves, it makes a difference in their lives personally. They don't believe it because somebody else has told them. They believe it because they've seen it themselves. And when you've seen it yourself, nobody's going to talk you out of it. When you say there's, something's dawned on me, you know, most of the little phrases that we use, you know, and then it dawned on me that, well, what, do, what did those even mean? Have you ever thought about well, where do you come up with that phrase? Probably not because you don't ever experience it, or at least most of you. But if you're traveling or when you used to be traveling, right, you would travel and you'd, you know, you'd stop at dark and then, and then you would set up a camp and, and, and you, would, you would sleep for the night. And then when you wake up in the morning, the sun would come up and at dawn, it would reveal all around you where you are because you couldn't see it before. So this phrase, and then it dawned on me, refers to that the lights came on and I was amazed where we were. Or I, could, I never knew what, what was around me until obviously. So this dawned on me, not just the lights come on, but sometimes you've, you've slept or camped in a place where, wow, I didn't realize that the cliff was right there. You, you know, you just didn't see it. Why? Because the sun hadn't come up yet. So you have then, I don't know, this is just such a, to me, this is such a cool picture of, of everything that we're talking about. It's easy to doubt something when there's no light. It's easy to be scared when there's no light. But someone who lives in light has a different light, has a different lifestyle. Well, obviously, why? Because you're living, you're living in a different way. You know, when I think about this, you know, writers have picked up on this through the years and this, this thought of what I'm talking to you about. And one of the, one of the I, won't, I won't say my favorite author because a lot of what he writes is, is, is really difficult to read, but, but you're going to know it immediately, Charles Dickens. And he picked up on this story because Charles Dickens was a believer himself. And don't, don't listen to a lot of people who try to say that he wasn't, because it's just not the truth. He was. In fact, I have a book at my house uh, that he wrote for his children. He didn't write it to be published liter like, like literary. It, he, he, called, he titled it The Life of Our Lord for His Children. And the thing that Charles Dickens didn't like was religion and church politics. I'm, I'm kind of on his page, all right? But, but obviously, he, he used to say that's why most of his works had to do with, with the poor and had to do with treating others because his statement was is that anybody who's a, anybody who's a believer ought, to, ought to, to be becoming more like Christ. Gee, that's a new concept. But anyway, he came up with this idea that writers have been writing. I mean, C.S. Lewis with the Chronicles of Narnia, Lord of the Rings, a lot of them, this, this battle between darkness and light and this difference between in the Christmas carol is the one I'm talking about. You know where I'm going here because we're at Christmas time. 
And I love A Christmas Carol. I've read the book, obviously. It's, not, it's really not as big as you'd think it would be. But I've seen just about every movie and every, every year, you know, you watch it. And I just, I just, I love it because of its picture of past, present, future. Let me go ahead and let you in on something and let you see where he got that idea from. I want you to think, because it's what we're going to be talking about the next couple of weeks, right? First of all, there's a presentation of a man by the name of Scrooge. And this presentation of who he was in the past. And then it goes to the present situation where he's trying his best in the past and the present to keep light from being exposed. If you remember the story, you know what I'm talking about. And then the future is all about how his life changed when he came into contact with, with truth, right? The light of truth, they would say. So you have, this, you have this incredible picture, and it is so beloved, and yet so few really truly understand what he was writing about. This same one, if I stood up and said, hey, let me share with you who I was before I became a believer. Let me share with you the circumstances God used to reveal his light to me. And then let me tell you about how my story, about how my life has changed. Why? Because when you're walking in the light, your life has to change. If it hasn't, you're probably not walking in the light. So you have this incredible, this incredible picture of this. Well, today, I'm going to show you these every week, all right? I, uh, I love the story. I've seen just about every version on film, uh, even, the, even the silent version, of, and it's not very good. But, all right? So I picked out my favorite out of all of them I've seen. And every week I'm going to show you. This is obviously the Christmas past, right? This is obviously the who he was, right? But I want you to see, it's like telling a testimony. It's like when I share at our dinner with the pastor. I share with you starting off who I was. I didn't become a believer until I was 21. And even though I'd been in church, I never knew who he was. I got religion, understood that piece, but I'd never, I'd never put my faith and trust in it. And then I talk about the circumstances. This will be next week for us, around how I came into contact with who he really was and his light, if you will, and then how my life's changed since. So it's the same thing. So anyway, I'm going to show you this version. It's, it's I don't know, two minutes, two and a half minutes. But this is all about who, who Scrooge was, right? So, uh, so take a look at this. Take a look at this right side. Merry Christmas, Bob Cratchit. And the same to you, Mr. Fred. Merry Christmas, Uncle. I said Merry Christmas, Uncle. <laughs> humbug. Christmas a humbug, Uncle. Surely you don't mean that. I do. What's Christmas but a time for buying things for which you have no need, no money? <laughs> time for finding yourself a year older, not an hour richer. <laughs> if I could work my will, every idiot who goes about with Merry Christmas on his lips <laughs> should be boiled in his own pudding <laughs> and buried with a stake of holly through his heart. <laughs> Come now, Uncle. Neville. 
You keep Christmas in your way and let me keep it in mine. Keep it? But you don't keep it. Let me leave it alone, then. Uh, Mr. Scrooge, I presume. Indeed you do, sir. You don't know us. Nor do I wish to. My name is Poole, and this is Mr. Hackett. Excellent. Now, if you'll allow me to pass. Uh, let me explain, sir. At this festive season of the year, it seems desirable that those of us with means should make some slight provision for the poor and destitute who suffer greatly at this time. Provision? Are you seeking money from me, then? Many thousands are in want of common necessaries. Hundreds of thousands are in want of common comforts. Are there no prisons? Plenty of prisons. The workhouses, are they still in operation? They are. I wish I could say they were not. The treadmill, the poor houses, still in full vigor? All very busy, sir. <laughs> I was afraid from what you said, that something had stopped them in full force. A few of us are endeavoring to raise a fund to buy the poor some meat and drink and food and warmth. Oh, what can we put you down for, sir? Nothing. You wish to be anonymous? I wish to be left alone. Since you ask me what I wish, gentlemen, that is my answer. I don't make merry myself at Christmas, and I can't afford to make idle people merry. My taxes help to support the public institutions which I have mentioned, and they cost enough. Those who are badly off must go there. Many can't go there, and many would rather die. If they would rather die, perhaps they had better do so and uh, decrease the surplus population. Surely you don't mean that, sir. With all my heart. Now, if you will go about your business, gentlemen, and allow me to go about mine. No, oh, what a jerk. All right. But now, again, Dickens was a master storyteller, all right? He just was. And what he shows you in the past part, we just don't have enough to show you more of the movie, all right? Uh, or read, I wasn't just going to read to it to you, but it would take too much. And, but all about past was also, it was not all his fault. Because it also presents that his father, right, uh, held him responsible, you know, for the death of his mother who died in childbirth of him, right? Sent him off, you know. It, it paints an incredible picture of that this man needed help, and yet most would say, you know, he's just a greedy, self-centered person, just... Just leave him alone. There's no hope for him. But that's where Dickens was writing. Where does the hope come from? Obviously, he, it's, it, it deals around Christmas in this metaphor. But the picture is amazing. And the transformation in this man is amazing. In fact, it's not possible in and of himself. So, again, you see this guy write a story. Most people don't even see it. They just see this, you know, holiday uh, you know, movie or theater, you know, and, and they, but it, he caught on to this picture. And well, I'll share with you one every week. Next week will be present and then we'll go to the future just because you're going to see metaphorically like Chronicles of Narnia and other ones that he's writing about something. All right. So, so then we have this incredible light, right? This need for light in darkness. People walking in darkness have seen a great light. In other words, even that has got it. People walking in darkness, right? Have walked in darkness. That's the past. Have seen a great light, right? And then it even talks about in of his, of his reign, there will be no end. So you have past, present, future. You have all of this picture, right? Uh, of, of, of the look of this time, of what we celebrate at this time of the year. I mean, guys, even when you think about it, because those that are walking in darkness, what they need most is light. And yet, guys, our 
the, the whole season, right? The whole season, it's about light, right? We put lights on our houses. We put lights on a tree. Why do we put lights everywhere? Because Jesus is the light of the world, okay? Now, most people, if you were to ask them, why do you put lights on the house? They'll say, well, I don't know, it's Christmas. Okay, but do you know why, right? Because a light is coming in the world. Because people walk, walking in darkness, and lights come in the world to allow them to be able to see. So everyone, knowingly or unknowingly, that uses light at this time of the year, that's the reason, because Jesus is the light of the world, which comes to our solution, right? Which is where I'll close. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2 talks about that people walking in darkness have seen a great light, and those who've dwelled in deep darkness, on them a light has shone. Now, when you think on this, it's, it's talking about a light's coming to the world. In fact, Jesus, he went ahead and said it straight out. All right, we'll come back to 9-6. Can you go to the John passage? And I use this every Christmas Eve before we do our candlelight service. Why? Because Jesus was playing. I think he was referring back to this, this Isaiah 9 passage when Jesus spoke to them and said, I am the light of the world. All right, this picture that we're talking about that obviously that Charles Dickens picked up and put in his story and still this picture of what it means that we need the most. Blind being able to see, brokenhearted being bound up, right? Good news to the poor. All of it is the same thing. I am the light of the world. Look what else it says. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. It's incredible. It is, it is not take much to be able to tell someone who is truly a believer in Christ. The way you can tell is the way that they live. Because there is a big difference between those who are walking in the light versus those who are walking in darkness. And it's pretty easy to tell, right? It's the worn out illustration I've used a thousand times when I'm trying to cross my bedroom when it's dark when my wife's asleep. And I'm feeling myself around because there's that dumb coffee table that nails me in the shit every time. And I'm, I'm, I'm right? But if you flip the light on, I got no problem. You walk differently when you're walking in the light as opposed to when you're walking in darkness. Jesus makes this thought here. He says, I'm the light of the world. If you're mine, you're going to live different. Why? Because you can see. You can see. We'll talk a little bit more about that last, right? The change that is made in our life. So go back, and this is where we'll conclude. In Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. Now, in, in verse 2, it says, those who are walking in darkness have seen a great light, right? Now, just a couple of verses down, he tells us about who that light is. And it's described. In fact, if you come to Handel's Messiah, they sing it, the Hallelujah Chorus, right? Right? Wonderful counsel of the mighty God. I'm not going to sing it because that would be bad. The mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, if you know anything about it, all right? But that's what he's referring to is verse 6. For unto us, okay, for unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given. And the government's going to be on his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor. Okay, well, that's not a big deal yet, 
For unto us a child is born, and he's going to be a wonderful counselor. Okay, well, that happens a lot of times. But look at the next one. For unto us a, a child is born, and his name will be called Mighty God. Look at this one. Everlasting Father or Eternal Father. How can that which is eternal ever be born? I'll let you figure that one out on your way home. Right? This is what just puzzled Jewish scholars down through the centuries, trying to figure this verse out. God, what could, this, what could Isaiah be talking about? That a child's going to be born, a son's going to be given to us, and his name's going to be called Eternal or Everlasting Father. Well, when you understand that who Christ is, Emmanuel, God with us, it begins to make sense. But it made no sense here before the light was given. Interesting, huh? So, ever, uh, wonderful counselor, uh, almighty God, everlasting father, and prince of peace. And he says, obviously, increase of his government and peace. It says here, there will be no end. So, that's the future. So, you have them all three again. So, past, present, future, because he has come to deal with your past, your present, and your future. That's pretty much all of you anyway. By the way, you know that, right? right? That is all of you, past, present. He's come then to bring forgiveness to your past, to bring purpose to your present, and to bring hope for the future, or security, however you want to look at it, peace, whatever you want to say. So it's an incredible thing. It's an incredible thing when you put it all together. So, so as I close, you know, again, we will, we're going to talk about this in the weeks to come, but I want you to know that the world around us is, doesn't understand because they can't see. I try never to condemn, I try never to condemn a blind person who trips over the curb. Does that make sense? In the metaphor. Therefore, those who can't see are going to trip over the curb. Therefore, I'm not going to berate them for tripping over the curb. Why? Because I'm not going to look at them and say, well, you should have seen that. And they say, well, I'm blind. Oh, yeah, but you should have tried harder. Right? Someone who doesn't know who Christ is, who's not walking in the light, they can't see it. They keep making the same bad decisions and don't understand why. But he's come to bring light. All someone needs to do is see it. And then it's like, oh. It dawns on them like, oh, got it. I call it the aha moment. When you'll be able to see. You'll be able to see. Incredible. Incredible when you think of it. There's never been a time in your life you put your faith and trust in him. Again, this is not religious. This is God's message to you. It's his good news. It's his gospel. It's not for any church, and no church owns this message. No denomination owns this message. It's his message to you, to us. The question is, are you going to put your faith and trust in him? Because he's come into the world before that. If you are a believer today, then we need to live in the way he's called us to live and trust him for the strength to live it. All right? There's never been a time in your life you put your faith and trust in him. There's always people up here afterwards that would love to talk to you about what that means, right? Because when you see it, all of a sudden hope 
springs from hopelessness. That which is shattered all over the floor that you think is irreparable, all of a sudden, hope springs eternal to the point of it can't be repaired. He can repair it. It's an amazing thing when you begin to think of it. Therefore, we are dependent on him working in us, not following some religious rules, right? That just leaves a person emptier, right? And usually more judgmental of others. Isn't that amazing how that works? But it's him that changes us. Incredible. 